Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. The illusion of safety in creativity. Ooh, baby. Can you feel it? Can you feel feel it? it? Feel it. I like this. I like this title. I mean, I like the whole conversation we were having in the lead up to this, this, the, the title that we got, but the title is, is just like the little sort of like the, the, the tip of the iceberg of this, of this bad boy yeah. that we're going to get into. Um, cause this one is all about like, it, it kind of started off with us talking about, it's like, well, you know, thinking about this thing about like perfection mm-hmm. and what we think of as being perfect and, and how we kind of go about trying to create our art. Um, and, you know, I've, I say this all the time about actors, but I think it goes for a lot of artists. It's like, where I say, like, actors are, are mostly all trained backwards. Uh, and and not necessarily in terms of technique and developing certain skills, but in terms of kind of, like, the importance that is placed on certain things or how you're sort of, like, led to believe great art happens, you know, and, and plus just being human. Yeah. And kind of how we do things other than art as well. Uh, there's kind of like all kinds of shit that goes into, uh, this whole, this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. At least I think so. Well, and I think like, you know, we were bouncing around with the title and what is, what, what it could be called. And a few of the other words we were throwing around was like, you know, can the need for control. And I think safety kind of is a lot it's very tied to control. I think people want control because control feels safe. And I think with creativity, if you try and control it too much, you try and make it safe, then it just, you know, it, it, it stops it, it hinders it. And it doesn't really allow you to like access what's really there, you know? And, um, you know, for me, the big thing, and, and we mentioned this on the last podcast, so people can tune into that if they're interested, but just this whole thing of, you know, going beneath the surface, You know, um, one of the things that like, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit more recognized for now as a filmmaker is that when I've shot stuff is that there, the, the, the work that I've done actually was like, it was what was going on beneath the image. Um, and you know, I guess at the time when I was filming, I kind of took that for granted and and people didn't realize what I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then later they tried to get another director onto a project and you know, this director, shot things that looked aesthetic, but then when it kind of come down to it, the, the material isn't as good because like this director was just trying to make it look good, but they didn't actually, they weren't actually getting like the depth, what was beneath yeah. the image. And so like what I wanted to talk about a bit today in part was just like, you know, I, I guess it's my focus right now, but particularly in film is like, you know, it's not just the image, it's what's behind the image, it's what's underneath the image. Yeah. And it's like what that makes the image necessary. Yeah. Why are we looking at this image? Why do we care about this image? Yeah. Other than it looks good. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that, that's too. a very that has a that has a very quickly diminishing quality. Right. You know, it when when there is something underneath a gorgeous image, then it's profound. Right? Like everything's just working in sync, but you know, uh 
I think it's, it's one of those situations of, you know, it, it's very much how we're kind of geared to, uh, much sort of in the way that we're educated and how we analyze and look at things. Like it's very much, we don't, uh, we're, we're looking to, to find a way to control and make things perfect. And, and, and we try and systematically create a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. But what, how that usually ends up happening, at least in our society is that, um, and especially within art, there is somebody who comes along in whatever their discipline is and they're great. They're just unbelievable. So with film, you know, there's, you know, a brilliant director comes along and just blows everybody's mind. You know, we'll use someone like, um, uh, Orson Welles, Hmm. you know, like Orson Welles was like a groundbreaking film filmmaker in his time, the way that he did shots, you know, Mm -hmm. like people thought he was crazy. Yeah. You know, they're drilling holes into the ground so he could get a certain shot, but it was because he wanted, like, there was an idea behind the shot and that's why he, he did it. Right. Right. Um, which we're going to get into here in a second. (laughs) This is what I'm leading towards. But, um, and if somebody does something, you're like, wow, this movie was brilliant. You know, this is so fantastic. And it's like, so how, and then you go, well, how did he do it? And this is what happens with all the greats and any other things. Like, how did they do it? And the thing is, is that it, because you can't, you don't necessarily have access to the person themselves. And because the creative process itself is a little bit of a mysterious, murky kind of a process, it's a hard thing to describe, mm-hmm. right? You know, it starts coming out in weird metaphors and, you know, analogies when you try and describe your own process yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, it's just like, I don't know, you can't put your finger on it but it's kind of like this, you know, that's the best you can really do with explaining creative process. Like it's kind of like this. Well, I think a lot Um, of, yeah. And I think a lot of artists who kind of succeed, especially if they succeed young, they, they don't necessarily always know what they're doing. Right. And sometimes they're, they're not really doing anything right at all. They're kind of just getting rewarded for maybe reasons that aren't related to their art, Yeah, you know, but I think when it comes to being like, young, but oftentimes there is a purity to what's happening to what yeah. they're doing, you know, that is like brings a quality to their work. Well, I've heard of like a lot of, you know, a lot of young actors say like, uh, you know, like a lot of the kind of young famous actors, like, you know, the Joaquin Phoenix and, and stuff like that. Like they, they, you know, they didn't really want to be doing like acting schools because they didn't want anything to mess with their process. And mm-hmm. it's like partly to do with the fact that they didn't want to start understanding it because once they started overthinking it, then they wouldn't be able to do it. Anymore. Right. And like yeah. one thing I really liked about river Phoenix and all of his work and just, I thought he was an interesting guy. He was troubled, but was interesting about him was you could always kind of see him. At least he was always like, he was very sensitive and he was very much just kind of following his feeling and his feeling would lead him to very interesting places. You know, yeah. James Dean and, he was known for that kind of thing as well. Right. And so we kind of praise these actors, but I think what ends up happening is, you know, later generations see these actors and they go, Oh, I see what they did. Now I'm going to go do that too. And it's like, no, you're missing it. Like it's not what they did. Yeah. It's how they did it. And exactly. And you don't necessarily know how they did it. Cause none of us do. And they yeah. don't even know, and but like, it's how you do yeah. it, which is, and important. then what ends up happening is that somebody makes an attempt to explain how they did it. Right. Totally. And, and it always ends up becoming surface level shit. Right. Cause that's the only thing that you can really come up with as a definite thing. It's like, well, they did this and they did this and they did this. Right. It's like, 
okay, yeah, like those were all, but they're, they're, they're all such surface level things. Like James Dean was, he was a very well-trained actor. Mm -hmm. You know, he went to like some of those like pioneering sort of schools. I think he said, like, didn't he study with Stella Adler or something like that? And I think so. I mean, you know um, what? And Ilya Kazan and stuff like, because Kazan was not just a film director. Like he was an actor. He was with like kind of, well, that was Brando's director. I'm not sure if Dean was. Kazan did, did stuff with, uh, with Dean. Did he? I'm almost certain of it. I'm almost certain that like, uh, what was, uh, well, he, he only did three features. He did giant, he did rebel without a cause and he did East of Eden. I think East of Eden was Kazan. Was it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I don't know. I need to check. Yeah. Well, may, but I don't know of those films. <laughs> Regardless, you know, um, the point was like, like Dean is like James Dean was, he, he went, he did a lot, he did a lot of training but it wasn't the training that made him a great actor. Mm -hmm. You know, he had a a level of human understanding, compassion, uh, availability. There's things about him that you can't be taught. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was very physical and he learned how to like in a, in a lot of ways, he learned how to do that in his training. Yeah. But he wasn't great because he was physical, right? You know, like it wasn't just like, like, yeah, like just look at the way he, he could move and throw his body around and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, yeah, it was great. But I mean, there, it was what was underneath it, you know, like it wasn't just for, he, he had a body that was able to do that Mm -hmm. to serve something else, right. To serve the the inner thing that was going on. That was so captivating about, because his emotional life was just so rich. It was just so like on his face, which Mm -hmm. was what was truly great about him. Uh, and then, and, and for me, that's like kind of the big thing for, to me, like for actors, as long as like, as, as far as technique goes and, and certain training, it's like, yeah, like have, have a, a body and a voice that is strong and able and, you know, is, is kind of liberated in a way have, so it's not a hindrance to you. That's really the main thing. Like you just don't want like these things to be, to limit you or be a hindrance to you, but it's not what makes you really great. Like I remember doing, you know, when I was doing years and years of voice training and I, I'm not knocking the voice training I did. It was great. And I learned a lot from it, but I started working from this place of, Oh, okay, well I'll just connect to my breath and that will get me to where I need to go. And it was kind of ended up becoming like a parlor trick that never works. Mm. You know, it was just like, no, it's cause what was important is that like, yes, that I'm breathing and that I'm supporting my voice, you know, and that like, I'm not shutting myself off. Right. Because that can happen. Lots of times people will stop breathing in performance. And when you stop breathing, like you do, you cut yourself off. Mm. But suddenly I was going through this weird process of being like, okay, this line is coming up. So I'm going to, I've got to take a breath, you know, to come up with this line. But now all I'm thinking about is, is how I'm breathing. Right. And that's not natural. And that's not natural. And it certainly wasn't helping me in connecting to the scene because instead of having my mind on what was happening, my mind was on my technique. How am I breathing right now? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, uh, it's the tail wagging the dog right? Like it's, it's, it doesn't work. And if, if you think about it, if if you like, it's impossible for one for the tail to wag the dog, but even if you could just picture in your mind, a dog wagging, like wagging itself by its tail, 
Like, try and imagine that in your mind for a second. It just looks ridiculous. It's mm -hmm. absurd. And that's exactly how I don't want factors end up looking. Yeah. It's totally ridiculous. It looks absurd. Yeah. It looks absurd. It's like, what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah. Right? And it's like, yeah, because you're trusting these, you you put your faith and all of your, all of your attention into these very surface level things. Right? Well, I like this analogy because it's like, you're working from an extension you're not working from the core. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing is like, you know, uh, doing like, for example, doing the mastery was really great programs on it twice. And that weekend, because I mean, you just connect to your breath and you get tapped into your core. And once you're tapping your core, you're not even thinking about breathing anymore. That's irrelevant. You just you're breathe. Just, you just, you have to breathe. Cause now once yeah. you're at your core, you have to, because you're dealing with whatever the hell is going on in here. And that's a surprise, you know, yeah. like that, that can be, I, I'm, crazy. Oh yeah. Right? But the thing is, is like when I think what, when you're working from an extremity or working from a thing, it's like you saw someone do something. And so you're modeling based on what you saw and that's external and it's in your head and it's out here. It's like, even your head is an extremity really to your core. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, I think the problem is, is this whole wag, like the, the tail wagging the dog is like, you know, it's, it's you not really centered. You're not at your core you're not trusting that, which is, I think the thing is, is why that's not that scary. And it doesn't feel safe is that what's in here in the body will surprise you. You know, what's in the head is not going to surprise you that much. What your arms or your legs do, they're not going to surprise you that much. But what, what happens is when you breathe and you tap into whatever's in there, yeah. you start feeling your organs, you start feeling shit in your body, your lungs, you know, you, 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 those aren't feelings that we're used to having. And so like, I think like, especially in our culture right now and like, but, but so much of our, like so much of what matters happens in, in here, in this main yeah. fucking area of our body and even thought like, like, you know, it's interesting. Cause like thought is interesting because when you just think and you're disconnected with your body, you can be a total idealist. You can totally be like, Oh, everything's this and it should be this way. And if everything was perfect, but when you tap into your body, perfection isn't relevant anymore because now there's feeling and that combined with thought makes for an interesting thing, which I think really like acting and a lot of art is really about. It's like, where does the body meet, meet the mind, you know? Yeah. And you know, at its best sort of the, um, you know, it becomes f like kind of focused chaos, right? Which is what I'm starting to think a lot of like what great art is, is it's, it's directed focused chaos. That's a good way to um, put it because think, it's yeah. like, you know, when you're watching like a movie or a play or something like that, you know, you, you want, as an audience member, you kind of like, you want this, you always want the sense that this is going somewhere, you know, this is going somewhere. There's this moving towards something. Yeah. Right. But while that's happening, I want to feel also like I have no idea what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> but that it's going somewhere. Yeah. And it's an interesting line to walk. Right. And, and, but it's kind of, you know, it's this element of like push and pull, like this unhinged, like unhinged, but it's, but it's all being driven. Yeah. You know, it's being driven someplace, even if we don't know where that is. Right. But we need to have that sense of it. Right. But, um, yeah. And, and this is all pertaining like, to our title of, you know, the illusion of safety in creativity. Yeah. Um, because this whole thing, 
that we're talking about. And, and so it's kind of like, well, why does this happen? Why are we going, if this is not actually the way that you get to creating sort of your best and most profound work as an artist, then how come so many people are learning it this way or teaching it this way? How come we're going about it this way? Hmm. Um, and it really is, it's, it's a total ego thing. Oh yeah. I was going to say, and just the one thing of the head and the, and the heart when it's like, that's when it's at its best, when it's at its worst, it's like the, the head is, is judging where the heart's at. Right. Right. It's like, no, this isn't right. This is wrong. And, And this is precisely the problem is our, we have these ideas, our head tells us like has these ideas of perfection. Mm. And in fact, the idea that it tells us that something perfect even exists is, is absurd. At least your mind's idea of perfection, perfection doesn't exist, but the heart's idea of perfection totally exists. Yeah. And I think maybe this is a little bit of what we're, we're getting into. And so anyhow, the idea is that when we're working from our heads, which is so much of, I think, part of the problem with, uh, us as artists, it's not just an artist problem. This is a human problem. And as artists, we're humans. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so it's, yeah, usually the biggest thing that gets in the way of us as artists, it's, is a, it's not a technical issue. It's, it's always a human issue. Right. And it's this idea of perfection, which leads us to this idea of control and control because we want to feel safe. We want to feel that there's a safe way to do this thing. It's the same thing like with, uh, uh, I was listening to this great podcast, the raw, uh, the Rob cast, and they're having this great conversation about love, this very philosophical and theological conversation about love and all this. But, uh, they're talking about their, how there's sort of like, there is a little bit of an issue with how a lot of these sort of dating and relationship sites work, right? Because they kind of give you this promise that's like, well, we're just going to like set you up with somebody who's, who's just perfect for you. You know, like you're going to, we're going to match you up in all of this criteria mm. and blah. And the thing is like, it's not that people don't and can't meet, you know, somebody truly amazing this way, but um, it's not guaranteed. You know, it doesn't always work for everybody. It doesn't just happen. If you look and, at the odds more, it, it works way less than it ever works, but they always talk about the success stories. Yeah. And yeah. this, and part of the problem with it is that they're trying to promise love, but take away the falling element out of it. Right. And that's a problem because you made it safe because you made it safe. Yeah. And it's like, you can't make it safe. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, I, you know, and I, I don't know if this was just on that podcast, but I've heard this concept going around before about how love, the moment you make it safe, no longer really exists anymore. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people get divorced as they get older, because they get into this safe thing and controlled thing. And it's not spontaneous anymore. It's not exciting anymore. And that's why people stray and they go off with other people or they just go off on their own because they're like, this is not fulfilling anymore. And I mean, I think like, you know, I think you can, you can make a decision. I mean, I know it's a little off topic, but in a relationship, it takes two people at the end of the day, it takes two people. It's not just one person decides, but if both people decide, Hey, look, we're in this situation like it's gotten pretty safe. It's gotten pretty controlled. Why don't we let's, why don't we do something at least like spontaneous? Like why don't, yeah. we, why don't we 
allow the falling to happen a little bit here. Yeah. Right. And and I agree with that. And I think, you know, it's funny that you brought this up because I'm thinking a lot about like the filmmaking and the writing process and even the acting process when you're doing it and it's really working and you're really getting something, you're falling. It's, it's very out of control. I mean, absolutely, man. You read that script, Love Lost, man. Like, you know, I, I, like I had, I I sent that out to, I I must have sent that out to 20 readers. Like most people wrote me back and said I was in tears. It was like, whatever. And I'm, I I didn't talk to everybody specifically where they were in tears, but a lot of the people said they were in tears at this one point. And I'm like, when I wrote that, I was in the cafe and I was, and I shared this on a previous podcast just after I wrote it, I was writing it and I was bawling my fucking eyes out and I'm sitting there and there's so many people I have my head down like this because I don't want everyone to see that I'm fucking yeah. crying right because I'm like a grown man in a coffee yeah. shop like at a computer <laughs> crying my eyes out and then my buddy taps me on the shoulder head judging like, the heart by the way yeah right exactly <laughs> it's like openly crying public man it's like it's whatever I'm still working on it but like anyway my buddy taps me on the shoulder because he was there too and he was working on something else and he says I'm about to leave and I and and I like like I was emotional, but I actually was so in the zone. I wasn't really thinking about it. Yeah. Although I created a posture where at some point I was conscious, I was tearing up, but while I was in the zone, other than kind of being there, I was just really in the story. When he tapped me on the shoulder, it was like awaking from a dream. It was like, I was dreaming and then someone woke me up suddenly and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. And Cause he looked at me and he was like, and I could see his eyes and he was like, and he was like, he was like, I just want to tell you, I'm going to leave. He's like, keep going, man. You're doing good. (laughs) But it was like, but that's the thing is like, I was in that unsafe kind of falling place. And so, you know, when you brought this up, I'm like, it's so true. That's exactly what it is. Cause if you don't make room for that falling experience, like you don't like, that's where the real gold is. And it's a hard place to go to. Right. But But the thing is, is that it's, it's a weird paradox. Yeah. It's a paradox because the thing is like when, when you kind of, and, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this when you are in that place of just that actually like falling state where you're like, Whoa, what's happening? Like, but it's just pouring out. Like yeah. the shit's just happening. You're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like you're not, you're not in control of it. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of like in, again, we're talking about the creative process now. So it gets murky, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to explain it. But you're just like, oh my, and it is, it's like falling. Mm -hmm. You are falling for your art. You are falling for your work. And you're just like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And, but you accept it. Yeah. You just kind of like let go. And now you're embracing that you're falling. And that's when great stuff happens. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's so it's, it's kind of, and you, the paradox of it is that that is the place where you are actually the safest. Right. That is actually the place where you are the most in control is by kind of accepting that you're kind of, that you're not. And that this thing is just happening. Mm. Um, and you're taking I'm interested, what's coming I'm as interested happening. on your take. Why, why do you feel you're more safe, um, more in control by almost, okay, so like, I just want to hear your point of view on because that. Because the thing is, is that when you are consciously trying to control everything and make everything perfect and you're just like, uh, you know, yeah. it's like almost like obsessive compulsive with, sure. with that kind of shit. The, the more you, you, you try to control the less in control you are because it's like, you're just frantically running around trying to put out fires. Mm. That's what, that's all your attention is on, you know, is, is trying to, or keep yourself small so that you can't actually risk anything. 
Yeah. Like that's one of the big thing I notice about control, especially when, when I do it, I mean, I see it in other people, but I'll just talk about my own experience when I'm being really safe and in control, I stay really small. I don't risk. Yeah. I don't go out. I don't take the leap. It's like when I'm not being safe, when I'm putting myself out there, it's super exciting and exhilarating, but like I'm literally get, I get fully extended. And so like, in a sense, I could see how I'm not really in control when I'm keeping it small, because really like, it's like a denial of like, I'm, I'm not letting myself be as big as I actually can be. And I think like, that's a big, that is kind of a big thing for me as an artist. That's one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn throughout my entire career is to be big, to mm-hmm. be full, to be alive, to risk, to throw myself out there, to almost like to Shakespeare this shit in life, you know, yeah. to go all out. Right. And, yeah. um, life is so much better when I allow myself to do that. And so, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm just kind of having a realization as you say this, but I'm like, I'm realizing, like, well, what is it, man? Like, why do we keep ourselves so small and try to control and, and like, cause I know the benefits of going bigger, but like, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I don't do it all the time. I don't know why. Like I see the girl. I like the girl. I don't go ask out the girl. You know, I, I don't know why. Um, you know, uh, I like, I have gone down to the American film market and walked into the biggest rooms I could get into and pitched a story to someone I didn't know and, and got the immediate feedback. I mean, we threw ourselves up on stage and kind of, we did the big thing sometimes and those are glorious moments, but like, I don't glorious moments, but I don't do that all the time. And like, I wish I could, and I, I hope I will, but I mean, yeah, it's the (laughs) illusion of safety. Right. You're safe, you know, and, and it's like, and, and really you're keeping yourself, like you said, you're keeping yourself small. Um, but the problem is, is that like this whole thing of, of when that's where you're working from, you eventually this, the situation becomes extraordinarily unsafe. Like to bring this back to sort of when we were talking about relationships and when you're trying to take the falling out of, out of love. Um, and, and you have the couple that is like suddenly all of these things are kind of going wrong. You know, maybe there's infidelity. I don't know what have how unsafe has that relationship become? Mm. Right. And everybody trying to stay safe and not, you know, rock the boat or keep things controlled and contained. Everybody's just like, like clammed up. Everybody's just like boxed in. And that's when really destructive shit happens. Right. That's, and, and when that happens, that it's become more unsafe than it would have been if you had just kind of embraced the falling aspect of everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it's maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a labored way of, of, or perspective on the whole thing. But when you're trying to keep yourself and yourself safe in all of these like little ways, eventually you find yourself in a situation that is so, that is so horribly unsafe. Hmm. You know what I mean? And not in a good way. Whereas this whole, like when you kind of relinquish the, this idea of, of control and you just like, okay, this is happening. Like I'm just falling through this thing now and I can't control this. Not entirely. I can't, I, I, I can't make this perfect. There's no way I can think of making this perfect. I can't contrive anything. Let's see what happens. Hmm. You know, then you can actually start to focus on the shit that matters, which is that stuff that's underneath the surface of all of these, you know, all of this technical shit, 
right? You focus on the stuff that matters. And then you start to get to the thing that your mind was trying to get you to. You actually start to hit perfection, but it was of no real will of your own. Right. You know what I mean? In a, in a kind of a strange way, you didn't it's really like surprise. Exactly. That's the funny you know, thing. That is you're surprised funny. by the perfection. It's like, wow, I didn't even imagine doing it like this, mm. but how amazing is that, that that just happened? Yeah. You know, it's like, i and, and there's all these things that happen when you're working from, from that place. Like I, like one of the reasons I love acting is because of how is the immediacy of that process. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's unfolding right now. Yes. And when you're, and when you're tapped into it, you're just like, you're just, you're like the ride is happening. You're on the ride and the audience is on the ride with you and everybody's on the ride and you're like, Holy shit. This one, and it's falling. Right. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is like uh, amazing things happen in there that you didn't plan that you didn't expect, but they were just amazing. Right. Like in that moment, they were just like, it was lightning in a bottle. And that doesn't happen by you just like, okay, we've got to try and get the lightning. You know, that's like the thing. It's like, you're trying to like stuff lightning into a bottle when you're working from a way of trying to control it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you can't control it. You know, you've just got to kind of create the electricity, (laughs) hold the bottle up, man. Yeah. Like (laughs) you just got to create the conditions and I don't know. And just ride it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's not, there isn't thought, you know, it's, we'll maybe have to do a podcast or, or an episode about the value of the technical side of things. But we talk a lot about the stuff that's underneath it, just because I think that there are already like, if you've gone to any sort of school for your, for your art and discipline, you've learned the technique. Yeah. And you probably learned most of what you will ever need to know. Mm-hmm hit your mark. Like, yeah, exactly. Hit your mark. Have a good, like, you know, keep your body, keep your body, like have your voice, have your diction, whatever, you know, it's like, and even then you can argue with some of that. It's like, yeah, but like, what about people who don't speak with a, you know, really great clarity and stuff? Is that wrong? Like if a character demands that, you know, there's, there's this thing, there's all these made up rules. There's all these made up rules in art. And it's just like, they're ideas. They are suggestions that oftentimes work out very well. In fact, maybe more often than not, they do. But again, it's like when we're working from this place of just like putting, like making our art about the technique, it's no longer art. It's just, I don't even know. I, it's, it's just, I don't know what you even call it, you know, but we've all seen it Mm. when that happens. You know, we've seen the the beautiful film that was shot that was just completely devoid and empty of anything, anything real and human in it. You know, like we've, I don't know what you call that exactly, but we've all seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's so much stuff that you hit on there. I was like, I I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm thinking about like, um, the rules, like the rules are, like, I think that's the problem. Part of it is that we take these things as though they're rules and they're not rules. They're guidelines. They are, yeah. they are suggestions that, you know, they tend to kind of work. And there are certain things that are like principles, 
like principles that kind of not principles, principles, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, that work, uh, that work kind of consistently, you know what I mean? But they're, they're usually not a technical thing. They're just like a, you know, um, whatever, like, like a principle, like, you know, if you want to speak, you know, breath is involved in speech. There's a principle to actually how we actually vocalize. You know what I mean? There's principles that are involved. They're not, they're not rules. If, if you're doing them naturally, you don't have to think about them. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because actually like right now, like with BC Film Academy, we're going to teach a, a course called uh, fast filmmaking, mm. which is based on the model that I used to actually launch my film career. Cause a lot of people have been asking me like, well, how did you do it? And I said, well, I just made a film. I didn't, I never went to film school. I literally, my buddy had a camcorder and I asked him if we could use it and would he film? And he said, yes. And then I was like, we're going to, this is what we're going to film. And I was literally, I kind of wrote the script a little bit on the fly because I had this idea of first, which was like, it was really, it was small. And then my other buddies who were at camp wanted to get involved. And so I just expanded the story and then we made the story. And then it was about eight minutes long and we didn't have an editing machine. So we just shot in sequence which was kind of crazy. And then it was really like so good. Everyone's like, you need to put this in a film festival. I did. And it fucking won. So like the, the, the whole thing about that was like, I was like, you know, I stumbled into being a filmmaker in a lot of ways. So I'm kind of like teaching people my process. I call it fast filmmaking because I'm like, okay, look, here's the things you need to do. And here's all the excuses that everyone has and why they just don't make a film. So let's just erase all the excuses. Like, cause if I yeah. was like, well, I don't have real actors. I don't have an editing machine. I don't have this. I don't have a sound guy. What if I made all those excuses, I never would have made a film. Right. So I'm like, yeah. I'm not. And the thing is, is with the chorus, I'm like, it's not that you don't have to have any of them. Like, it's not like don't have any of them, but like, you go and you go do it anyway, because every time you make an excuse, you just literally stop yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think people make excuses to essentially like you're saying, like be safe. Um, but you know, so anyway, so like part of the courses I'm talking about, okay, well, here's the things that I want you to do. I want you to keep it to like two to three actors, uh, one to three locations, you know, one to three props, your script can only be one to three pages long too, you know? And I'm like, and then after that, I'm like, okay, now you can go ahead and break any of these rules you want, but just understand the consequences of each of these ideas. And then there's a quote I found, I forget who said it now, but they said, you know, the young man knows the rules, but the old man knows, um, the exceptions. Mm. And I, I like that. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's, <laughs> that's really it, man. I that's mean, great. like you follow the rules until you can start to make the exception. Right. And, uh, and I thought, you know, that's kind of, the rules are really good when you start because I think you should learn. Like I, I, I think it's not, it's, it's all right to learn the rules, but understand that once you, if you can do it like properly, then you can start to also break, you know, break it and bend it. Yeah, right? And in fact, you have to, yeah, you have to. I mean, that's the art. That's where the creativity yeah. comes in. Right. So, and so I think like for new artists, like, don't worry about like, you know, you want to like, you know, go into an acting school, you want to go into a film school, whatever, and do it the way they say it, do it the way they say it, try it out, try it out, see what happens. And then like, start to evaluate, could I have bent this? Could I have broken this? Could I have done it differently? And then go and do it again. And the thing about fast filmmaking is why I'm excited about this course is because like, it's such a low point of entry. Like when I made my first film, like 
it didn't really even cost me any money. Like it cost me almost nothing. And I made a film just to prove to all like the other people in the school. I made a film for like 300 bucks. You know, yeah. we got like, you know, we got a, a professional people, we got everything involved. And I, I showed people you can make a film for like practically nothing. And basically most of the money just went to food and like buying a lens or, or renting a lens or something. Yeah. Right. Like it was like, and you didn't even really, whatever. I mean, you could even done it for less if you wanted. Yeah. One of the, a film, here's another crazy thing. One of my mentors, <laughs> one of my mentors, um, he got a television series off the ground on a proof of concept. Do you want to know how much it costs? A little over $400, $400. And he got a TV show off the fucking ground. Like that's being made. Yeah. Is that not insane? That's amazing. So like that's that, inspiring. That is fast filmmaking, right? They, unfortunately they took the video down because it's being turned into a show now. So yeah. the proof isn't available online anymore. I was showing people, I'm like, you need to see this because this is like how you get yourself in the door. And people are like, you know, how did you become a paid screenwriter? How, how did you get all this? I just made shit, man. I used the little money I had and I figured out how to get some people together and I filmed some shit. And like, you know, when, dude, when I was making films, I mean, you knew me, but I, you don't think I heard people making fun of me. You don't think I heard people saying like, oh, you know, this guy thinks he's so great. He's so cocky, all this shit. It's like, you can say all the stuff you want about me, but the thing is, is like, I'm making it and you're not, and that's the difference. And it doesn't matter so much if it's the best thing ever. What matters is that I'm actually out there and I'm getting skin in the game and I'm doing it. And that is the difference that gets you through the door. And like, you know, I, I, I've had in my personal career, and this is, you know, whatever, I've had some fucking major setbacks in my life, personally in my life, that have dramatically affected my career. Yeah. And I never got to... Uh, you know, I never got to release some of the bigger shit that I did just because of fucking whatever stuff happens. And, you know, and to me, it was a bit of a public failure because lots of people knew about what I was up to. And then, you know, and like, well, where's the thing, you know, and then I had other friends and colleagues that got to launch their shit, which were, you know, a lot of people even said they were inspired by what I was doing and they got to show their stuff and I never even got to. And that fucking hurt me. You know, I was hurt and I, and I even to sometimes now, like that's what motivates me, man. Cause I look at, it, I go, you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. I went out and I did it and I, and I went and did it. And so this is my point. Anyone who's out there, we got all the rules. we got all the things. Just don't make excuses. Just go and fucking do the thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the other thing too is like, you know, as you do it more, you're going to figure out where the exceptions are, you know? Like one thing I always do, like, and anybody who's been on my set is I feed actors well. And there's one, only mm -hmm. one single day I've ever been on set that I ran a set where actors weren't fed well. And that was my error because I left it to someone else and they didn't get enough food. Mm. And, and that, that I was like, this will never, ever happen again. If anyone's on here, like in my family, when we grew up, you always ha made sure everybody was fed. And yeah. when I figure when you bring people to set, that's the num that's one rule. Just don't break that rule. That's yeah. like, that's a rule. That's a principle. You feed yeah. people well, you have high morale, do whatever the fuck you want. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? But like, that's kind of the thing. And then, you know, you, you figure it out and you go, well, um, you know, we're talking a bit about in this course, uh, you know, I'm going over guerrilla filmmaking, you know, do you need to get a permit for everything? Well, it depends how long you're going to be there for, how big is your crew? Cause if it's three people or five people and it's not many people and it's like, you know, no one's even going to notice you're there and you're in and out in an hour or two, then just go shoot it. Like yeah. why, why bother? Right? Like, I mean, you know, so like the, the thing is, is that my, my point is, is that, you know, 
I think safety, the whole thing we're talking about, like safety is getting the permit, doing everything right, crossing your T's, dotting your I's, making sure everything's perfect, making sure everything's like, you know, that's the safe way. Yeah. But the creative way sometimes is being like, let's run and gun this. Let's show up. Let's pull out our cameras. Yeah. Let's shoot it and let's leave. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of that element of rascality. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. kind of like required, right. you know, to give something, you know, it's the, it's the salt, you know, <laughs> it's the salt in the food, right? Yeah. You know, it's just like that little, it's that spice. Um, yeah, man, it, it, it's, uh, let's take a quick second. Let's, let's talk, uh, how do you like this beer? I'm loving it, man. It's going down so quick. It's, uh, kind of surprising. I'm not sure if we had this before, um, but it's, uh, it's got a little bit of a honey flavor to it. I'm guessing it's an IPA or something like that. Maybe an ESB. It's got a little hop to it. Um, it's definitely two thumbs up. It's incredible. Like I'm like feeling like I'm going to like, I'm going to be done the beer before the podcast is done. And that's a really good sign that I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So yeah, no, this has been really, uh, really tasty. This one is, uh, I got it specifically on the branding. I thought it looks great. <laughs> okay. And this is from Russell Brewing Company. Uh, we've had their stuff before. Um, this is from their small batch. And this is called the Punch Bowl. I don't think we've had that. No, I don't think so. And yeah. this is a Northwest IPA. Okay. Um, yeah. Is there something about a Northwest IPA that's different than a, say, a regular IPA? Uh, Northwest or? IPAs are, are just hoppier. Oh, they're hoppier. Yeah. Northwest is kind of known for its, like, hoppy hops. Well, you know, <laughs> it's interesting, and I've mentioned this many times on the podcast, but the fact that I am loving an IPA just shows that I've come a long way when it comes to beer, because when we started doing this podcast, I was like kind of on the no fence. IPAs. <laughs> and that's exactly how yeah. I said it. Um, so yeah. And now uh, it's sours. <laughs> sours. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Sours are, they, they, they run the gamut of things like that's drinkable to that is completely undrinkable. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's kind of where it's at, but you know, there's this, um, I don't know who makes it, but there's this cucumber sour that, uh, they do at the local craft brewery down the street there. Oh yeah. And, um, one night I just drank Cucumber like, sour. yeah, I just drank those all night. And I was like, they, to me, they were an exception because they, yeah. they, they were only a little bit sour, but like, I don't know, something about the cucumber was like really refreshing and kind of a unique flavor. And I could see how someone might hate it yeah. because it's definitely like a different taste, but it was like, unlike any yeah. other beer, but I liked it so much. I was just like, yeah, keep it coming. I feel like it sounds like a beer that comes out of, um, like that place is down at the end of commercial. I can't remember it now. No, Maybe I don't. Not. I don't know, man. Anyhow, um, not gonna be able to help. Yeah, me. no. This has been. This has been. <laughs> this is real tasty. Really nicely. Like it's a strong beer too. Is so it? It's like six and a half percent. It's hefty. Uh, that explains very drinkable. Explains how why I feel so yeah. liberated in my spirit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's. Um, <laughs> You know, like for me, it's like, this is like one of my biggest messages always like to, to artists and to actors though. And specific, specifically is like really like more and more just hammering this point away that just like your tech, the technique is not the art. Like it's, it's what you do is not about the technique. Again, what you do 
is not about the technique. <laughs> it is not about the technique. <laughs> the technique is only in service to something else. Your biggest job is that something else. Right. But we get this really mixed up. Yeah. We get this really mixed up in our society. Yeah. Um, and we make everything about the technique and then we go, why isn't this like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Like I know for myself as a young actor, learning the rules, <laughs> learning how you do this and learning the techniques and stuff was that it was like, you know, there was always just something missing in my work. I felt it. Mm-hmm. I just, I kept on feeling, I kind of kept on coming up against this thing. And I'm just like, why the fuck am I not getting to this place that I, that I, I wasn't even sure what it was, but you know, that sort of all I knew was like the best sort of sentiment that actors have is to lose myself. Mm. I'm like, I haven't lost myself. I'm not losing myself in this. And I want this experience so desperately Yeah, and I'm not getting it. And here I am, I'm in class, I'm showing up, I'm working hard, I'm rehearsing, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading all the books that everyone's telling me to read and I'm, and I'm doing it and I'm not getting anywhere. And it would come to things it's like, you know, you, you put up your scene and then you would get your feedback and be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to work. I'm going to work this objective more. I'm going to, you know, and, and you're just like doing all of this work and all this work and all this work. And the same result keeps happening with like these weird glimpses of, you know, the good, the really good stuff happening and being like, how the hell did I even do that? Right. It wasn't the technique that did it. You know, it was never the technique is why I ended up realizing that did it. It was more a letting go of technique that allowed me to do my best work. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's kind of like the way that we, we go about things. It's like, Oh, this is work. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and for actors, like I'm going to go and work on my objective. I'm going to go and work on my obstacles. I'm going to go and work on my intention. It's like, those are all wonderful, really terrific. But again, it's like, where, where is your connection to this Hmm. material? You know, this is the thing. It's like, there's oftentimes a lot of work that goes into it. You're, you're working the techniques, but there's no meaning in them. You're doing the technique for its own, for its own sake. Yeah. You know, like, and, and again, that's, that's kind of a weird thing from our, our education system of where it's just like, you got to get the right answer. So you, now you're going into an acting class or into your, your art studio and you're trying to do the right thing for your teacher. Yeah. You're that's, trying to that's get the always, right answer, right? That's so always dangerous when yeah. you're trying to impress the teacher. And you're yeah. so now you're just doing the technique for its own sake. You don't really, un, you, like, you don't really have a, a meaningful connection. There's no, it doesn't matter how, how much you've, you've wrote out. You can write pages and pages and pages and pages out of, you know, your character's objective in the play or in the scene. If you don't, if, if you're not connected to that on a personal emotional level anywhere in that, it's, it's all meaningless. Right. It doesn't mean anything. That's why like any technique is neither necessary nor unnecessary. Like it's there and it's being taught. And again, it's oftentimes how the techniques are being taught, right? It's like the objective itself, you know, you write out what your characters after you've analyzed everything, writing out the objective doesn't necessarily mean anything just because you kind of maybe have a good sense of what it is, doesn't necessarily mean anything for what, for when you step out on, 
in front of everybody right. and you put it into action, doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you have no connection, if it doesn't actually have any real meaning to you, if you're not stirred, if you're not compelled, if there's not some component of you that is tied to it. And yeah, so it's like, there's just, there's this whole backwards thing, which is again, why I always say it's like, find yourself first before you start applying any of your technique, like all these techniques to anything, you've got to find yourself in all of it. You've got to find your own, like your beating heart within, within the page Mm. or within the canvas. You've got to find that you've got to be so deeply fucking connected to that and rooted into it. If you're, if you're going to do it to its fullest, right. And if you're going to be able to allow yourself to fall, right? Like I understand why lots of people, I understand why Daniel Day Lewis, who I really hope that he isn't fully retired, (laughs) (laughs) but I understand why he's only taken so many projects on, you know, why he's just like, he's kind of like the Olympics of acting, you know, it's like every four years he comes out and he does something and it's amazing. And it's because he's so deeply personally invested and connected to what's going on. Right. And it's like, you know, you try and break down Daniel day Lewis and like how he acts. Good luck. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that's why he's one of these, these, um, artists and within acting that is, um, that people are so fascinated by and people are just desperately trying to understand, you know, and, and most people, they, again, like we discussed earlier, it's always broken down into the most mundane thing, Mm -hmm. the most surface things like, Oh, he's a method actor. Yeah. So what he does is he's playing a prisoner. So he goes, he locks himself up in a prison for, you know, however long. And he, and he eats nothing but like toast and beans, you know, for the entire time. And it's like, and I read an interview that he did too. And, and he's him trying to explain it. He's like, he's kind of realized it's like, I'm done kind of trying to explain it because Mm -hmm. I can't like, there's not like, it's, it'll just sound too weird. It'll sound too vague. There's no real, but that's kind of what we grab onto. It's like, right. oh, well, that's what he did. You know, look at how committed he is. He'll throw himself into that position. He's like, he's not throwing himself into that position because he's just like, okay, so this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm playing a prisoner. So I have to, lie. it's for him. It's like, yeah, he'll do that. But there's, again, there's something underneath it mm-hmm. that he's trying to get in touch with that. He's trying to, he's trying to understand a certain experience and how he feels about that. He's trying to find his own connection and meaning to what he's doing. Mm. Right. It, but it gets like, it just turns into this thing. And, and then you got a bunch of actors who are like playing a role of some kind. It's like, Oh, I've all right. Well, I'm going to go and do this for a week, you know? And it's just <laughs> like, do you know why you're doing that for a week? Cause it might not even be necessary. You know, like it, it might not be necessary for you to put yourself through that. And there might be some other, you, you might have some sort of a connection to, to what's at the heart of the material that doesn't require you to do that. Mm. But yeah, it, it's like, this is the kind of the backwards nature of, of how we approach a lot of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I drink your milkshake, man. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. sir. Very good. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, man, as we go through this whole process, I'm realizing like, you know, 
um, for me, the thing that I'm kind of discovering more and more about myself creatively is that, um, they're like, it's, it's kind of calling up something that's inside of me and, and, and running with that and trying that out as opposed to, um, doing what I think I need to do. And I think like, you know, I think like part of the struggle that we all face is that we all do a lot of modeling. And I think modeling yeah. is excellent in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's such a important part of childhood and growing up and figuring out how to do this life and do this world and work in society and figure all this shit out. Right. But I think modeling is like, it's like a very surface level of being able to function in the social group dynamic, right? Uh, figuring out how to kind of do something, but it's like, it's like step one, you know? And I think, um, after that, then, you know, modeling kind of gives you that first kind of gateway in. And then from there, then you got to like, let go of the modeling and you got to start to find out like, you know, like, um, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had this, um, more than once where I've outdone my mentor. Like I've like mm. literally realized that they, um, they had a point where they, they were at and I surpassed it and realizing that, um, everything they gave me up to that point was really good, but like they never challenged this area in their process. And so then I surpassed that. And so it was like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. And like what I started to realize about mentorship and this happened about four or five years ago, um, where I really started to have this discovery. I started to realize that mentorship is, uh, it's like a cycle. It's like, uh, the protege eventually ends up mentoring the mentor. And then the mentor becomes a protege in a certain sense to again, mentor the protege in another way. Yeah. And you are, uh, it's an evolving process where you're literally slingshotting each other forward because the mentor gets growth by watching you apply principles that they've forgotten that are foundational and fundamental. And then you surpass them because you're a younger generation who's got more energy and liveliness or whatever, or just access to information they didn't have. And you take their very good information and surpass them with it. And then they, with their wisdom, a lot of the time can take that and go, great. You've, you know, especially if they have humility, mm-hmm. teach some, they learn something from that. And then they go and, and you constantly keep pushing each other forward. And, um, you know, a really good working mentor mentorship relationship is largely based on tribute and acknowledgement and appreciation and kind of a sense of, of giving because, um, if you want it to be sustainable, it can't be a give take. It needs to be a give give, you know, it needs to be like, I'm not so much worried about what you're going to give me. I know you're going to give me something, but I'm going to try to give you back whatever I can. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and that's really what sustains a mentorship relationship. And the other thing too, is to not have ego about say surpassing your mentor, but to, you know, encourage them because like, um, you know, we're, everybody like, especially with this, this crazy world we live in, we're just one person, right? Like I'm just one person. So I could have learned a lot. And if I impart like say 15 years of film knowledge onto someone and they learn, they're not going to necessarily have all the experience I have, but if they learn the really like gold nuggets that I got over 15 years or more, then 
they take those gold nuggets and they learn them like within like, you know, months or within a year or a few years. And then all of a sudden, like they didn't have to go through the trial and error period that I did. They're kind of up there, you know, they're kind of up there with me now. And the thing is, is that, you know, I think the thing is, is like when, when someone shares something with me and they kind of show me about my process, because like you never stop learning. And I think the other thing too, is like, you know, what's interesting about this stage in my career is, is I've been learning to embrace it more is that you get to a certain point of experience where now it's about trusting whatever the heck is in there because you know that you have enough to keep you on the rails. Like writing to me has just become exciting. I'd say in this last year, because now, or well, then the last year really, because now I'm at a place where I'm writing a little bit more from whatever's inside and, and trusting that I have enough technique to keep me on track. Whereas before, I don't know if I was honoring what was inside as much and I was more following the technique and, you know, I'd get, um, moments of more like moments that were good, but like a lot of stuff that was kind of like, I don't know, I want to call it like cliche or just, it just didn't, I don't know. It was just, it was what it was. I don't know how to describe it. Right. Yeah. But like, um, so I think like that's part of the thing about going through all of this too, is like, you know, when you're starting out as an actor or your filmmaker or a writer or a painter or whatever, um, you know, you, you got to learn kind of the common practices. I bring this up. Here's why I bring this up. I just started, I was telling you this before. I, I just started practicing karate. I've never done karate. I've done Taekwondo. I've done kickboxing, but I've started doing a little bit of karate. I've only done a little bit and I'm going to do some tonight and then tomorrow again. But, um, the thing about karate is it's all about precision and, And the thing that I'm learning is, is how you want to do as much as possible with every little single thing that you do. And when, and the, and the sensei, I guess, you know, what he was describing was how, like, when you're beginning, you're really like over-exaggerating a lot of these moves. You know, you're, you're essentially, you're learning form, you're learning disciplines and practices that later, and, and he was showing us with kind of the looseness of his body, how he's doing what we're learning on a fundamental level, but now he's got a very relaxed state. So he can do things that we can't because he has the foundational trust and you can, I don't know how to describe it. You have to see the person do it. Like he's a seventh degree black belt or whatever, but you see the person do it and you get it because you saw what you learned in there, but then you see the flair, you see the, and it's not, not even like he's trying to have flair, but you see his, his essence, shown on top in, in within the foundation fundamental discipline. Mm. And like, I looked at that and I was a little bit in awe. I was kind of like, there's what I like about karate is I like the discipline of the art of it, the precision of the art, which, which it kind of honors the craft and the individual at the same time. Mm. So to me, that's just, what's interesting to me about it right now. Um, and I think like, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is like, the whole safety thing is like, like, you know, if you're like a white belt or early belt type of karate person, you can, you know, you can get in your fighting stance and, you know, you know, whatever, like yeah. do your shit, right? But you can do that and it actually might help you to a certain degree. But once you're able to kind of um, 
B at the same time you're in the discipline, then you've gone to a point where people don't even like, it's not even identifiable. Like if I got into say, for example, like the fighting stance right now, right? If I got into the, you know, whatever, put the handout or whatever it is, if I got into, it would be obvious. You would see me in fighting stance, but then you watched him in fighting stance. He doesn't even look, just looks like he's standing there because he's so in his body, so natural with it. And I think like with the acting part of it, especially it's like that, you know, you're this very like trained actor, but you know, you have the technique, you understand, you know, to look, to be connected, to be like, to forget the fact that you're even acting, but it's like, no one can see the acting, even though you're well-trained, you know? And I think that's part of the acting process is like, particularly acting is that, um, you, you, it gets worse before it gets better. Hmm. You know what I, you know, because I think a lot of the time for actors, like, um, and even with filmmaking, I've seen it. And even with writing, I've seen, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure it probably transcends other mediums, but it literally kind of get worse before it gets better because you start to learn certain things. Like it's like the wax on wax off, you know, just do the action and the action is obvious and whatever. And it's, there's nothing like subtle about it, but then you do it. And then the thing is, is then when the time comes, you have, you know, you know, and so like, um, but I think what's hard for actors, this is my, my thought is that I think that maybe what's hard for actors is that they get so comfortable in doing the practices and the disciplines that now they don't want to let them go. And I think what this conversation is about is like, okay, now that you're trained, now that you've learned all this shit, let it all go. Now trust that it's there. Like have faith that all your work is already there. Like you've practiced it, you've done it. You know, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to do it properly or like, like not properly, but by the book anymore. You kind of, you know, you can start to play around. You can start to see your exceptions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like for example, I did kickboxing for a while, right? Kickboxing, you know, we were talking about this is not a martial art, but kickboxing, one of the main principles is you always keep your, your fists up by your jaw because this is your danger zone. This is where you get knocked out. Yeah. And you know, um, like what's, what's interesting about that. That's just the discipline. You build that discipline Well, you start to see, uh, you know, if you ever watch UFC or something, you'll see certain fighters and they'll drop, they'll drop their guard, right? They drop it down or they even, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, they got it down by their yeah. side or Conor McGregor, you know, like kind of dipping their head in there. Well, the thing is, is that they, the thing is, is that even though they put their hands at their sides, which you're not really supposed to do, it's like, you understand the exception of why you're doing it. So it works. So it's like, like you don't, they don't have to follow the rules and that gives them a certain kind of Mm -hmm. flair, a certain freedom, you know? And like, the thing is, is like, if you're in a social situation, right? Where you say you have an intimidator, someone who's like maybe going to be an attacker and you raise your hands up by your fists. I mean, that says fight, right? Yeah. But in karate, one of the things like, like they talked about in our early lesson is like, you know, our lessons and is this distance, you know, now, instead of putting your hands up by yourself, just create distance. Cause now the distance you can deal with that. Even if your hands are down here, Yeah. but if you're close, you're going to need your hands up because, because yeah. that punch can like, like, and he was saying like a seven degree black belt, but like 
you cannot, like if someone's super close to you, there's no way, no matter how far I'm trained that I could react to that fast enough. Mm -hmm. And so when you're up close with someone, sure, keep your, you know, you know, and that's kind of the, the thing. And so it's interesting, right? Because the rule in kickboxing is keep your hands up. But like when you understand the, 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 the philosophy, the psychology of the martial art, like with karate, you, you know, distance removes the need to put yourself into a fighting stance because the moment I put myself in a fighting stance, I might be telling this person we're going to fight, but I don't want to do that because, because I don't want to fight them. Right. Maybe I don't want to fight like, you know, that's not my goal. So instead I keep distance. And the distance might even be like, not just backing up, but distance might be putting my hand out, right? Distance might be saying a loud noise, making it clear that do not come into my space. And he, you know, he was explaining like, uh, you know, the thing is, is that if someone does come into your space or multiple people come into your space in karate, that actually, that is your right to, to attack now. That is your right. Because if they keep encroaching and they corner you now, that is your option because now you know you're in danger. And that actually made a lot of sense to me because I was like, you know, um, you know, when I was younger, one of the, I know I'm going on a little spiel here, but when I was younger, my model was always to try to avoid fighting. I got into a few fights, but I always tried to avoid the fight. But, um, I thought, you know, it was interesting because there was moments where people were encroaching on my space. And the issue was the reason why a lot of the time, maybe the fight had to occur was because I was not demanding and being assertive about the space that I wanted in that situation. And I have found in my, in my older life, I I don't get into fights because I'm very assertive. I'm very clear about my comfort zones and you know, people that even are bigger than me, a lot of the time they'll respond because I'm very, like, I'm very clear about it, you know, but when I was younger, I wasn't. And I thought, you know, that, that is kind of an element in, in socialization is like the space we have, like, you know, that's a technique in acting, right? But Mm -hmm. like, just decide is that, is this space, like, say you're talking to a woman, right? And there's sexual chemistry, right? Now, if you want to get intimate, you want to be closer. If you don't want it to be intimate, maybe you want to be apart. Yeah. You know? And so like, if you're responding to the story, you'll know exactly where to be. You don't need to think, oh, I should create space for drama. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. The space will be created because you know, in your body, like, what do you want right now? Mm -hmm. And like, you're, if you're a married person and then you're attracted to this other woman, you might be like, I want space from this woman because anything with us too close to each other is dangerous. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's because like, that's part of, before we started this conversation, we were talking about this whole thing of like the difference between thought and feeling, right? What you think is perfect and what you feel is perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and the differences between that you know, and, and where they kind of end up leading to you. Cause what you think is perfect usually leads you to something really, really contrived mm-hmm. and really like, and usually won't work, you know, and feeling yourself into way into, into the perfect spot is like, it, it kind of goes against our nature in a lot of ways, mm. even though it's actually completely in our nature, it goes against how we're sort of trained to be. Um, cause we go, it's like, Oh, but I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. It's like, great. <laughs> yeah. Let's find out. Let's find out. You yeah. know, usually like, that's like, that. that's the, one of the most beautiful places to be, 
you know, as an actor and as an artist, it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I remember that being a profound thing for me when I was really starting to, when, when I was in a, some actor training that was starting to shatter these things for me, like shatter some of my beliefs and shatter some of how I was approaching acting in the past that just wasn't working was, you know, I, this next sort of thing that I, I had in front of me, the scene that I had in front of me and that I had to put up. And I was like, without getting too much into it, I was just going like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like in, in a very real way, like, I'm just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, oh, I'm like, no, like the way that this scene, like walking into it was going to, was going to happen. I was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Mm. I don't know how there's going to be anything that's going to happen in between here. I don't know how I'm going to talk to this person. I don't know how I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing that I'm doing. I don't know if this is even fucking possible. Mm. And I was stressing out about it. I was like, holy shit, how's this going to work? Like my mind was trying to come up with a plan. Yeah. Right. How am I going to do this? (laughs) You know, how am I going to do this activity? How am I going to, because basically it was like, how, how was I going to sing this song and play this guitar while at the same time having another person in the room with me, who's, who's going to be talking to me, right? Like, how am I going to do both of these things? How am I going to sing a song, play guitar and have a conversation with this person at the same time? Right. I I was like, and so I was trying to figure it all out and how to do it. And then, and again, stressing out about it. And then eventually just hitting a point, like, I don't know, a few hours beforehand, I went, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'll find out. Yeah. Then that was the thing that was like, and he'd been trying to like leading us towards that as a teacher this whole time. He's just like, you'll find out. Mm -hmm. You'll find out how you say the line, but when you get there, mm. you'll find out like when you get there, you'll find out. And I did walked in there and I found out, found out that it couldn't really do it. Right. And in finding out that I couldn't really do it, I had to make a choice mm. in that moment. And it was, a, it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal because like in this scenario, it was like, Oh my God. It's like, I was, I was, trying to like play and sing this song and learn how to do this song for a very emotional reason. Like I was like really like in this state and the other guy, he had come in and something like he had come in and just this state where he needed me. And I had to tell him that he had to leave because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do both of these. I couldn't deal with him and do and, and deal with what I was dealing with. Right. And it created this extraordinary thing that I didn't even know was going to happen. Right. Right. It was, it was unbelievable. I found out by, I just found out by getting there, Mm. you know, and that's, I think a little bit we're talking about. It's a lot of this is about trust. Yeah. It's that, you know, and I think that's where the safety thing, like that's what we're talking about. The safety is that, you know, you don't know. And that's part of what makes this so great, you know, is to not know and to be responsive and, and a little bit adaptable in the moment. I mean, there's certain things that you can kind of guess at and and kind of predict that will happen a certain way, but there's other things that, you know, 
they're going to surprise you in the moment. Like one of the things they say, um, you know, as a director is that when you get to set, you block the scene with the actors first. Yeah. Don't even invite the, the cinematographer or the DOP or, or camera op or anybody or the lighting yeah. crew. Don't even invite them to set. Just block it with the actors first. See what they do. See where they go. And don't tell them what to do. Just like, like okay, let's run happens. the scene. Let's see what happens here. Here's your space. Let's see what happens. And then what's going to happen is they're going to do this and then you're going to go, okay, great. And you might say, well, why, you know, what if you tried going there and you maybe do some acting directing, right? Yeah. And then you figure it out and everybody gets their kind of positions. And then you say, okay, great, let's do that again. And then you bring the camera operator and the cinematographer and everybody, all this and the lighting crew. And you say, okay, let's run it again so everybody can see it. And now they light it based on where the actors go. And then during that time, you had your idea of how you would film this thing. You look back at your little kind of, sh- you know, shot list and you go, how, how correct was I, you know, and, and did I tailor their performance to fit my thing or now do I, how much of this do I need to adapt to how they did it? Mm-hmm. And then you become responsive to a certain degree because some of your shots maybe worked and then other ones maybe need to evolve or yeah. a new idea of how to shoot this comes up. And so then you, that's better than anything you could have thought of. Exactly. Yeah. And this is the organic process of it. But if that you has don't, to be allowed room for, it has to be allowed room for it. And so if you allow room for that, you end up kind of, uh, uh finding this perfect thing, yeah. but it's not something that you necessarily come in knowing. And like Martin Scorsese has this quote and I, I really love this. He goes, I show up to set like before everybody else. I think he shows up like an hour or half hour before everybody. And he just hangs out on set. And he's like, I, he's like, I want to make sure that I, like, I get a sense of this place. He's like, I want to feel this shit. I want to figure out like what I'm working with. Right. You know, and then before everybody starts showing up and and then he starts to conjure his ideas. So, you know, Martin Scorsese is an interesting guy to me from what I understand about his process. I don't know what I do personally, but I really respect him. But his thing is he's very he's very organized. He's very planned. He thinks a lot about what he's doing and his whole vision. But at the same time, he makes room for his own adaptability in his process. So like, it seems like what he does is he creates an idea of how he's going to shoot it. Then he shows up before anyone shows up, starts to create a new idea, reforms this idea. Then the actors show up, he lets them run it, sees Leo do Leo shit. And then he goes, okay. And then he adapts it to that. And then he, and then after that, after these edits of his vision, he goes, okay, this is how we're going to shoot it. And then everyone else gets on board. And I thought, well, that's why he's fucking Martin Scorsese. You know what I mean? Because like, He's literally He's evolving his it, process you know? as he goes, yeah. right? And so, like, to me, I'm like, well, that's incredible. I mean, like, well, we could take that that model in everything. Yeah. You as come in with an in, idea, you adapt it, and then yeah. you respond. And as so opposed forth. to being so rigid right. with everything. It's like, no, this is how it is, and it has to be this way. Right. It's like, it's, it's a tough game, because it's like, the thing is, like, the whole idea that you have that you can completely troll, control that's true. Oh my God, (laughs) man, this beer, uh, (laughs) is, is a complete, this is why we put it in the tell is it's, it's an illusion and the safety, this idea of safety that you have, and I'll say the idea of safety is an illusion, Hmm. you know, like, because the thing is, is it's, it's not, 
it's not real. There is no safety in the way that we try to control these things and we try to manipulate and make them go a certain way. I mean, you just look at something like, you know, you look at uh, like U.S. politics, look at a U.S. election, how much money goes into that, how, how many polls there are going on for like, they're, they, they start running polls on that shit like, I don't know, I don't even know how long, at least a year, mm-hmm. they're, they're checking to see, it's like, how are we polling, how are we polling, how are we polling? What is it going to look like? Who do we think is going to win? Blah, blah, blah. What can we, and like you have experts and, and officials and so, so, so much money and <laughs> trying to control and manipulate things and, and steer things in a certain direction to know. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they still never know. No, there are still surprises every single time. The last election, everyone like it was like Hillary's ahead by like 17 points. She's like, she's in. And we all know how that ended. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so it doesn't, there's, it's an illusion Mm -hmm. there. It's an illusion. You do not know. You don't know. You do not know. You can influence, you can come to the table with, with what you got, but you've always eventually, you've got to abandon it and just say, it's like, okay what is right, right here? What is right in front of us? And how do I feel about that? What is like, what, what is the thing that has kind of the most gravity to it, you know, and move towards that gravity. Mm. Don't fight that gravity. You know, um, I think also like what we're kind of getting into with this podcast, we haven't really mentioned it, but it's freedom. We're talking about like what free, like freedom is interesting because Freedom is the ability, like freedom is the ability to, to do as you please in a sense, but like freedom and autonomy, doing it the way you want, with whom you want, when you want all that. Right. And like freedom and autonomy are like, and there's philosophers and I forget the names of these people who've, who've commented on this, but, um, many philosophers have mentioned that we will give up our freedom and autonomy for safety. That is how all freedom and autonomy Mm. will be lost. We will exchange it all for safety. And you're seeing that right now. I mean, you're seeing that with like, you know, uh, you know, Homeland police and all of this stuff, right? Like Homeland security, whatever you're seeing this all over the place where people want to feel safe and they're willing to give up their freedoms. They're willing to give up their autonomy because they want to feel safe. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, the, the, the safety is an illusion. And, and also here's the, here's the other big problem. And for people who aren't pervy to this, if people in power, politicians, people, corporations, money, people, even above politicians, if they want to control, well, what do they need to do? They just need to scare you so that you feel you need to be safe. And then if you feel you need to be safe, then you'll need them and you'll give them rights to things that compromise your freedoms. And so ergo, you will eventually be less free. And the thing is, is like, what if the things that you are afraid of were made up just to get you to give up your freedoms? I'm not saying that they are, aren't, I'm just saying to everybody out there, just question that because you know, it's, it's in politics, it's in art, it's in everything. You know, we, we will give up our freedom for the sense of safety and it is only a sense, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, is like, uh, you know, um, this is kind of the thing. Like if we really want to kind of 
have a certain autonomy over life, have a freedom and have an access to our creativity, we need to begin to um, be very protective of our freedoms and autonomies, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think we need to be very like, we need to be willing to sacrifice some senses of safety so that we can, we can keep, we can keep and maintain a certain sense of, you know, our, ourselves. Because I think too many rules, too many restrictions, you're going to start getting yourself to a point where you're in a box and you can't move, you know? And, uh, I think that, um, you know, I think that safety sounds like a great virtue, but it often comes at a great cost. And so I would say that, you know, not just in art, but just in life, you know, like even being safe, like say, you know, you, people go on these online dating sites, it's like, well, what's stopping you from talking to the person at the cafe or the bar or the, or the, or the event that you're at that you like? Why do you have to go online to talk to them? Because it's safer, right? It's safer because if I get rejected online, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. But if I talk to them in person and they reject me, well, that's, that's direct feedback. That's hard. But get that direct fucking feedback, you know? Yeah. And you might start to discover that, yeah, I'm not going to say it's going to go right every time. In fact, you know, you, you, you might experience some discomforts, but that, that's where the fucking, like the, the nectar of life is, you know, and it's in risking, it's in going bigger, it's in going for what you want. Giving up some sort of your idea of control. It's, it's interesting because like a, a friend of mine recently, um, started going out with, with this girl who initially he met like through an, through an online channel and nothing materialized from it. Right. It was just like, no, it's probably not interested, you know, not going to work out. And then by happenstance, they actually just bumped into each other in, in real life in person. (laughs) Yeah. And they started going out. (laughs) They realized like, Oh, we do have a kind of a nice connection. Don't we? Right. (laughs) Like it's like, it's, but it was just like this whole, I, you know, they were able to get past, their ideas, you know, of each other and their ideal sense of like what they think they want, Mm. you know? And again, that's a whole nother conversation about what you think you want. I think that's what online, online sets up. Yeah. It's like, you know, ideals and what you want. It's like, you don't even know what you want. You know, that's another thing in the industry for sure. It's like, it's like casting directors don't even know what they want, you know, (laughs) like, um, but anyhow, it's like, yeah, people don't really truly know, know what they want, but something happens and suddenly it's like, well, now you're right in front of me and we're talking and mm-hmm. something's happening. And I'm just like, and it's like, yeah, you're falling a little bit. Yeah. And it's a good thing. Right. Yeah. I just want to say as a little side note, I'm not against people meeting people online. I, no, no, not, no. That's me not neither. what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying like, you don't need to restrict yourself to only doing safe choices, whatever the safe choice is, you know, that's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. And it's not just for relationships or art or whatever. It's just, for everything. Like, you know, take a risk, go out. Like, you know, and I think the other thing too is like, just ask yourself, like, if I do this and it doesn't work out, what's the worst that can happen? Like, like, I mean, what's the worst? And like, really, like, if it's not death, like learn to face up to it. If it's death, then maybe don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, don't go and fucking risk your life. But if it's like, I might get embarrassed that is a risk you need to go take. You need to go take that risk. You need to be willing to be embarrassed. You need to, that shame is, especially as artists, you know, 
go out there and, and, and show yourself, you know, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, get some, get some fucking like, go respond, go deal with the world, go, you know, go play a little bit. Yeah. Right. And let the world deal with you. Yeah. Live know. up close and in color. <laughs> well, this is a good chat, man. Yeah. This has been always. a really cool one. Um, you got any takeaways? Um, I don't know if I, nothing's necessarily jumping, jumping right to mind. Uh, you know, I, I just feel great from this, from this conversation, you yeah. know, just like for me, this is like a, a terrific reminder of, of just the stuff that really counts. Yeah. This is just about, yeah, a good reminder of the stuff <laughs> that really counts at the end of all of it. And, and yeah, like, again, I'll just throw, throw this out there one more time. What you do, you artists out there. What you do is not about the technique. What you do is not about the technique. And then I'll propose this question to you. So then what is it about Hmm. for you? What is what, what you do? What is that about for you? Start to explore that. Just start to explore that. Hmm. You know, like I'm not saying you don't have to have a perfect little answer that you can write out in one little sentence and share it with everyone. Cause I think that's something that it's a question. It's a big question actually. And you need to, but it's something to start exploring mm-hmm. and feeling your way through. And that's, um, that's how you start to get to the stuff that's underneath the technique and what makes technique necessary. Hmm. I guess I would say, you know, just, creativity is, is found in the areas that do not feel safe. You know, if you haven't got that from the title, it's just like, it's where you take a risk. It's where you put yourself out there. It's where you try something that you don't really know. And you don't know how it's going to work out and where there's tons of excuses you could have otherwise had, but you just don't have them. Um, you know, uh, uh, I would say that if you, you know, a lot of people, and I, Honestly, I can say this honestly, it makes me a little bit sad that a lot of people don't make films because they're scared of what their peers will think of them. Mm. They're scared of what the critics will say. And, you know, I just want to say this to listening audience and maybe you never heard me say this. I shared this story once in podcasts before, but I made a film. Listen, I was an award winning filmmaker. I won (laughs) the fucking best film in the film festival. I went to another film festival with another film. Um, which, you know, uh, I, I guess I had only acted in it, but I kind of produced it as well. But, you know, regardless, I believed in this film. I thought it was really great. And I was sitting there and two guys in front of me were like, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. (laughs) And I was like, I was there in the audience. They didn't know I was behind them, that I was the filmmaker sitting right behind them. Yeah. I was like, holy fuck. I was just like, that was devastating but it was great. Cause I learned, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, but we went out, we made the film and it sucked. And you know what? Honestly, today, I think it sucks. I think it's a sucky film. Yeah. It's no good. But at the time I thought it was good. But the thing is, is that I had to go and make a sucky film so I could learn how to make a decent one. And like, I'm not saying that I've made the best film in the world ever yet, but you know, like 
you know, I've helped, I've produced one film that's won over 40 fucking awards. So, you know, I'm doing something right in my life. Yeah. But I've also made a film that literally did suck and people said sucked in the theater. Like, yeah. So, but you know what? Someone, there's one filmmaker, fuck, I cannot remember anybody today, but one filmmaker says, oh, it's Robert Rodriguez. He says, I believe every filmmaker has 10 bad films in him. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's Beautiful. so true, man. Yeah. You know, so like, just don't be scared to go out there and try it. I'm like, fucking fail and whatever you'll get up and you'll make another film you know and i just think like a lot of people dream of doing this stuff and they just don't do it they don't even do one and like the thing is is like the way i look at it is like okay i just got to get my 10 shitty ones out of the way and i i probably only got a few of them out of the way so far so let's get a few more you know but eventually i'm going to stay with it we'll get there and then something really exceptional will come out of this right but i think like you know that's like life it's like anything you know it's just take the risk, be willing to kind of do the thing that isn't going to work and just learn from it, get up, go again, do it again. And you're going to start to learn and get a feel for what works and what doesn't work. So, um, that's just my suggestion. I think it's like, you know, safety will kill your dreams. And so don't let safety kill your dreams, you know, take a risk. I'd rather you have your dream and fall flat on your face and, and go for it. than be safe and always wonder and say yeah. only. I, yeah. I just think that that's the worst way to possibly go to be like, if only I, if only I did, I, I just, one thing I never wanted to do, and I don't know, it's just igniting something in me. One thing I never wanted to do. And ever since I was a little kid, I never, ever wanted to be on my deathbed. And I didn't care what age it was, but I did not want to be on my deathbed going, I wish I did the thing. I wish I, Mm. I just, I was like, whatever you do, Brandon, do not go through your life. And I do not want you to be at that place where you ever go, if only I did this thing. And so I think now I just push myself further, you know, into more uncomfortable areas. And I go, God, you could do more, man. You could do more. And that's exciting though. But I'd say like, just, Mm -hmm. you know, just start doing that. I mean, you're going to find a vibrance for life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Fall a little bit. Fall. Yeah. That's when you know you're on the right track. Experience gravity, man. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.